0: to get plugged in, and so um, Sunday afternoons, we have choir practice from 5 to 6. It's only one hour a week, and the best part about that hour is it's one hour a week that nobody can mess with you or bother you other than me, and that's really not that bad of a thing, I promise, Um, and we just sing for an hour every Sunday and prepare for, you know, what we're going to sing on a Sunday morning, but it really is nice to kind of think about it, have 60 minutes a week where... You're kind of off limits because you just get to sing and notice we didn't say you had to sing good. We prefer for you to you know sing with a smile, but as long as you have the spirit of worship, which we're all called to have, then we really want you in the choir um, at five o'clock on Sunday afternoons. And then your second ministry opportunity is we have um, a very 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 committed soundboard technician back there and sound engineer, which I'll call him a sound you know minister, whatever he wants to be called. Mr. Randy does phenomenal. Uh, But the fact is, Mr. Randy does phenomenal every week by himself and never has backup from anybody else because he's the only person that sits back there. Um, And I'm sure it would be really nice for Mr. Randy to get a Sunday to sit with Miss Donna during the service. But for him to be able to sit with Miss Donna during the service, somebody else has to be back there. And it's really not that hard, I promise. And Good thing is, Mr. Randy's so faithful, he's probably still going to be in the building. So if something were to go wrong, he can move quick and get back there to help you. Um, and then the computer back there, if you know how to work Microsoft's PowerPoint, you know, click a button, and follow words. If you can read, you can work the computer to lead us in worship too. And there's no age limit on that. I mean, some of you middle school and high school kids would be awesome back there on that. So just pray about that opportunity and come see us. And we'll have you a folder ready today at 5 if you want to show up for choir. But, you know, that's a great way to plug in and serve your church um, real simply. So anyways, I'm done. If you'll stand with us, we're going to sing Holy Spirit to open up our service this morning.
1: You are welcome. experience the glory of your
0: If you stand, we're going to worship together again and sing hallelujah, what a Savior. God, Lord, thank you so much for this day, Lord. Thank you um, for just being a God who also sends us a personal spirit to um, reside amongst us, God. Lord, we pray that um, the spirit will move throughout our service this morning and be with us in this time of study as we open up your word, God. May your words be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, God. and May we be encouraged and uplifted and um, just taught, God, this morning the things that we need to learn most today, Lord. God, we love you and praise you and thank you, and we glorify your name on high. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
2: Amen. As the children exit for Children's Church, again, grateful for those leaders who continually serve during this time. Uh, The rest of us turn to 2 Corinthians as we continue our study through the book of 2 Corinthians. Paul's emphasis has been on the grace of God if you were here last Sunday morning, we learned that we are to appreciate and celebrate and be good stewards of the grace that God has shown us in Christ. We are to receive His grace. We are to rely upon His grace. We are to release His grace to others. And then we are to continue to reach for the grace that is to come. Because daily, God continues to bestow upon us grace upon grace upon grace. So we are never done receiving grace. And even in the kingdom to come, there will be future grace for all of us to receive. So Paul has been talking about that in Second Corinthians chapters 5 and 6. So this morning we're going to begin with verse 11. And I want us to see how Paul continues his thought about how to minister the grace of Jesus Christ. You're to be a good recipient of grace and then a good giver of grace. So I want us to have that thought in our, in our minds as we see how he unfolds his ministry to the Corinthians. Now, you got to understand the Corinthians weren't trusting of Paul. That's hard for us to imagine but they thought Paul might be a little shady, a little corrupt. Uh, and, and we're going to look at some, a few passages that, that give us a little bit of, of why they thought that or some things that Paul's going to say. It sounds like Paul is defending himself. It sounds like Paul is trying to tell them, look, I am trustworthy. I do love you. I do care. And so Paul is sharing, as we read this, the heart behind his ministry and how he goes about doing his ministry. And simply put, we are to do God's work in God's way. And the Apostle Paul is a great example of this. So let's begin with 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. If you're with me as we read the word. Our mouth has, spoke, has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians... Our heart is opened wide. You're not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in a like exchange, I speak to you as children. After all, he was their spiritual father. Open wide to us also. Verse 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership "...have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial, what has a believer in common with an unbeliever, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we," and he is speaking to the church collectively, this is true also of us individually, We are the temple of the living God, just as God said. And then he strings together several Old Testament passages that reveal to us the heart of God and the promises of God. He quotes from the Old Testament. God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Then I want to read chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, because this, I believe, completes Paul's thought that we're dealing with this morning, which is how to do God's ministry in God's way. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves From all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Make room for us in your hearts. Open up your heart to us, Corinthians. Then notice what he says in verse 2. We wronged no one. Because they were thinking that Paul had been wronging them. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one sounds like Paul, like I said, is defending himself. Paul says in verse 3, I do not speak to condemn you, for I have said before that you're in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I'm filled with comfort. I'm overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. Father, thank you for your heart, which is on display in this text, that you love us. You've opened wide the kingdom to us through Christ, your Son. You have spoken, you have loved, you have acted, you've moved in Christ, and you've made great and precious promises to us that we long for and we know, God, because you're faithful, you're going to fulfill. Help us today through this word to be encouraged in our faith, in our walk, in our service. To go and share the grace that you've bestowed on us with others, Father. Help us to to do your work with your heart. And Thank you for the Apostle Paul, even the afflictions he went through. We are grateful for those because he learned so much and he grew so much through that to rely upon you and depend upon you and share what we have before us This morning in this letter to the Corinthians, may we open up our hearts and minds to truly receive it so that we can not only receive it, but give it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's clear to me that Paul loves them. It's not so clear that their love for him is equal in return. There's a give and take here that Paul desires That something is hindering. Paul desires intimacy with the Corinthians. He has intimacy with God. And because he has intimacy with God, he desires an intimate relationship with the churches that he loves and cares about. But Paul says, you don't feel the same. I feel one way, you feel another way. Now earlier this week, we had some really nice days by the way. A couple of afternoons, I hope you guys got outside and enjoyed the beautiful weather. I try to take advantage of some of those days, so this afternoon, this afternoon, (laughs) no, one of the afternoons this week, okay? Bear with my mind this morning. One afternoon earlier this week, I was outside, and because I'm a dad and I love baseball and I love my sons, one of the ways we connect is to play pitch and catch and throw baseball with my sons. That may sound like a simple, easy thing to do, but let me tell you, when you're raising boys and every son is different, they're at different skill levels, they have different focuses, they have different personalities, different loves, finally this week, with me and Bennett, my 8-year-old, we finally have gotten good enough at pitch and catch, (laughs) all right, to to make it enjoyable and stress-free. It took a long time to get to that point. Because when they're wee high and you got a real baseball, you slowly begin the process and it takes months, sometimes even years, as your child, your son grows to be able to do that simple father-son game of pitch and catch. Let me tell you some of the things it takes. It takes a lot of patience. (laughs) It takes a lot of repetition. Takes a lot of skill, a lot of care. After all, you want them to learn, but you don't want to hurt them in the process. You ever been hitting the cheekbone with a baseball? It doesn't feel good. (laughs) And if that happens, it slows down the process. It takes a lot of focus. And so here I am throwing the ball, but if you throw the ball, in order for there to be an interchange of pitch and catch, you're throwing the ball, and I've known how to throw baseball for years. I've known how to catch baseball for years. It would be much easier for me just to pick another adult down the street and say, hey, you want to come over and throw baseball with me? Well, first of all, that would be weird, (laughs) And that really wouldn't mean the same to me because I'm trying to develop someone and grow someone and interact with someone. So let's view ministry in kind of the same way because if God throws to us the Word of God as He does day after day and week after week, what, what do we have to do with that? We have to receive it, don't we? And then we give that back in worship and honor and glory and praise. Here's my reason for the baseball with my son analogy. Paul's like this really mature spiritual disciple. And he wants the Corinthians to get it as well. He wants them to worship and to serve and to grow and to love and to suffer for the sake of the gospel but they're not at the point yet where they can truly receive well everything that he's trying to teach them. And so if you listen to what I was saying in this text, Paul is saying, look, I'm, I'm giving to you and I'm loving you and I'm, I'm, I'm doing all this, but, but you're not receiving it. You're not receiving us into your hearts. For example, look at what he said in one of these verses. Did you read verse 13? Verse 13. He says, in a like exchange. I'm speaking to you as children. He says, open wide to us also. Paul is saying that he and his apostles are putting their whole heart into it. He says, we desire for you to put your whole heart into it as well. I'm throwing it out. He says, I wanted to come back. Look at the goal that he has in mind, and that's why I read chapter seven. Verse four. Paul says, "My confidence in you is great. I know that you can do this. My boasting on your behalf, I'm filled with comfort. I'm overflowing with joy. In all of our but look at verse two, right before verse three in chapter seven, I know I'm kind of jumping around, but you've got to stay with me. Let's watch the ball this morning. Look at verse 2. Make room for us in your hearts. We haven't wronged anyone. We've corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. He wants a mutual exchange of the life of the Spirit. So let's back up and let's say, well, what in the world are you talking about? What is God's way of ministry? And that's what he's telling them. He's telling them how God led him to function as their spiritual father. So let's back up and read verse 11 and verse 12. And here are my three points this morning. You want to do God's work in God's way? Then you need an open mouth, an open heart, and a consecrated life. That's it. An open mouth. An open heart, and a life that's set apart, a life that's different. I get this straight from the text. Look at verse 11. Paul says, "Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians." Paul, what had you said so freely and so openly? Simply put, he had verbally explained to them, as clearly as possible, the word of the gospel. If you read Acts chapter 18, Paul spent a year and a half with the Corinthians. And he had preached Christ to the Corinthians. He preached Jesus Christ crucified, Jesus Christ risen. The Corinthians believed it, and for a year and a half... He opened up his mouth and he taught the Corinthians about Jesus and his mercy and Jesus and his love. He says in 1 Corinthians that when I came to you, I focused on mainly the cross of Christ. I wanted to exalt Jesus and tell him about the crucifixion and the the problems that the Corinthians had. And there were many. To be a Corinthian you got to know a little bit about Corinth. It was corrupt, it was commercial, and it was cosmopolitan. The people of Corinth, to be a Corinthian, you could insult somebody, oh, you're being a Corinthian. It meant you were being selfish, you were being greedy, you were being sensual, you were living all for you. So for a year and a half, Paul preached Christ, and he preached the cross, and he says elsewhere, and I believe what he did, he preached the whole counsel of God. Here's my point. If we're going to do God's work, we have to do what we've often told our children. You ever told your children this? Use your words. <laughs> Use your words. I don't understand what you want. You may think that I do, but be clear. <laughs> so I had a seminary professor told us, he says, guys, look, be clear. When you preach the text, be clear. Use your Use your words. I had a music minister at my previous church. He really liked to ask me to sing every now and then. Fortunately, most of you have been spared that, except on Christmas Eve. But he got on to me one time because I was holding the mic (laughs) all up here, and I was mumbling while I was trying to sing. He met me out, Back after the service, he said, look, open your mouth and and do like this. (laughs) I was mumbling. nobody, No one could really understand me. Our mouths are crucial in our lives. God gave us our mouths for a reason. And we are to ideally open up our mouths and share the content of the gospel. But if you look at what Scripture says about how we are to use our mouths... Paul says to the Corinthians, I opened my mouth and I, and I laid it out plain for you. Why did God give us mouths? Not just to receive food, but to give. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. So let me give you some helpful suggestions. I think when Paul opened his mouth, he spoke freely about his own sinfulness. You and I are to confess with our mouths that we are great sinners. Because that's consistent. In fact, that's the only thing consistent with the reality. That we are fallen and depraved and just as sinful as anybody else walking the face of the planet earth. Read Romans 3. That's who we are. So you ought to confess your sin. Confess your faith. Jesus says with our mouths we are to confess Him before others. If we are ashamed of Him before others, He will be ashamed of us before God in judgment. With our mouths we are to praise and sing and worship and adore Him. Your mouth was made for worship. Your mouth was made for thanksgiving. And everything give thanks. It's made for grace and encouragement. It is made to speak the truth in love. Your mouth was made to testify to the reality of Christ and the gospel. That you're a great sinner, but He's a great Savior. The book of Proverbs says that with your mouth you can speak words that will be so appropriate to have the right word at the right time. Like apples of gold in settings of silver, so is a word fitly spoken. So in ministry... If we're going to do it His way, we must use our words, and we must have the courage to use our words, and the timing and the content and the tone, all of that matters greatly. So here's my prayer. Father, guide and guard our mouths in words and conversation. Grant us the courage to glorify you and guide others to hear and know more truth. If you have a question, ask it. If you are thankful, tell them. If you are sorry, say so. Say it out loud. Own it. Say the words. Leave no doubt. If you love someone, tell them. The Bible says, better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. If you desire to share Christ, then speak it, share it, and make it clear. Do other people know what you are talking about? Do other people know what you believe? Paul says that that Timothy made a good confession before the church. So where do you stand? Have you spoken verbally of your own sinfulness? Have you spoken verbally of your faith in Jesus as your Savior? Use your mouth. Use your words. Paul says in verse 11, our mouth has spoken freely to you. The second thing I want to focus on is what he says about his heart. Hey, these three go together. So don't open your mouth unless you first have guarded your heart, right? Because we speak of what overflows from the heart. So not only do you need to open your mouth, but this one actually is primary and comes first to open your heart. One of the ways we know that Paul has opened his heart to them is what he says to them. Oh, Corinthians, you can feel his compassion. You can feel his emotion. You know you mean business when you call someone by name. Neil Aubrey, <laughs> when I've heard that before, it meant something. It meant this is about to get serious. Paul spoke, as we all do, with the overflow from our hearts. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. So this is really a challenge about what's down in the well. And here's what we know about Paul in the Corinthians. He truly had opened up his heart to them. As we would say, Paul was all in. He had surrendered himself fully and completely, not only to Christ, but to the Corinthians. And so, when Paul opened his mouth, he wasn't just giving lip service. He wasn't just giving cheap talk. Paul had exercised transparency and suffering and complete and utter devotion. Look at what he says in chapter 7, verse 3. You're in our hearts to die together and to live together. And I believe with all my heart, Paul was certainly willing to die for the Corinthians. That was the love he felt in his heart. But look at what he said their restraint was. Look at what their constriction was. It wasn't in Paul. Someone look in verse 12, what were they restrained by primarily? Their own affections. So this is the lesson from this. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, look, I'm throwing the ball to you. I'm serving you. I'm, 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 I'm speaking, I'm loving, but your heart isn't in it. If there's a barrier here in our lives, the barrier is primarily where it's within and one of the struggles with playing pitch and catch with Bennett as an eight-year-old is a lot of times he don't want to be there. Where would he rather be? With what you know about children today, he wants to be in 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 front of the television. So his heart isn't in it. So he's what he's not focused. He's lackadaisical, you know two to the ground, and he's ready to go in. So anytime you interact with someone over love or intimacy or deeper issues, if there are other loves involved, that is a hindrance and a barrier to the intimacy that you're trying to establish between the two of you. You get married to someone, and then you say, you know, a couple months later, I got a couple of girlfriends coming over. (laughs) Yeah, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Because there are competing loves, competing affections. So this is what Paul is is saying. Look, you're not restrained by us. Now, oftentimes we go to worship and we say, well, if the pastor was better, or if the music was better, or if the, the atmosphere was better, or whatever, and so on. No. The real barrier is our affections. Do you really want to be here? Do you desire to be here? Is your heart all in it? That's what Paul's telling the Corinthians. The main barrier to my heart being enlarged to greater love for God and others in all its aspects is my own affections. So why did God give us a heart? Paul uses his heart and opens his heart to the Corinthians to love and serve them. Thomas Chalmers was a writer who said, Our greatest need is the expulsive power of a new affection. We need a new love. We need a new heart. And God promises that he will grant us that if we will seek him with all of our heart. We are made to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. So your mouth is the overflow of what's in your heart, which leads me to guard my heart and guide my heart and watch it with all diligence. Notice in Romans 10 that we are called to confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. For it is with the heart that you believe unto salvation and it is with the mouth that you confess unto salvation. So do the people around you know what you love? Do they know how much you love them? Do they know where your affections lie? I think they do. Because our affections are revealed by what we talk about, by where we spend our time, by how we spend our money. We're showing every day what we love. And Paul is telling the Corinthians, if you've watched me, You've seen me open my heart to you. I've held nothing back in what I've said. I've held nothing back in what I've felt. And if you look at my life, you'll see the evidence of it, Paul is telling the Corinthians. So why are they questioning his apostleship? You and I need an open mouth. We need an open heart. Last of all, we need a consecrated life, a life that's different, a life that's set apart. We can't make a difference unless we are different. And here was the issue with the Corinthians, and that's why he begins to talk in verse 14 about not being bound or unequally yoked with unbelievers. Paul knew that their affections were in another direction. And that was hindering their fellowship with God and with Paul. And what most commentators believe the key issue here was, was idol worship. In other words, instead of worshiping God truly and God alone, they had intimacy issues and trust issues with Paul because they had had divided hearts. So Paul gives them this warning. And there are five questions that follow, one after the other. And these questions tell us who we are and who we are not. And these are important, so I want to re ask them. And the whole point is do not be yoked together with unbelievers. You Corinthians, you're spending time in worship with unbelievers. That has led you to distrust me and not recognize me as an all-in apostle of Jesus Christ. So these are the five questions, and they're helpful for us. What partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Righteousness and lawlessness are polar opposites. They're at war with one another. These are different passions and different rules. The church is righteous, Corinthians, how can you people partner with the lawless? What fellowship has light and darkness? Well, we know that light and darkness has no fellowship. Light chases away the darkness. They are completely different natures and they are polar opposites. Can Christ and Belial be in harmony? No. Those are two completely different authorities. It's like handing two people two different songs or sheets of music and expecting them to be in harmony. It is impossible. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? They are from different kingdoms. They have different purposes, different lords. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? None. They are worshiping two different places and two different things. So Paul is telling the Corinthians, look, you... You're way too much in the world, and the world is way too much in you. So he's wanting them to think about the contrast in their nature, their authorities, their passions, and their destinies. Now, what in the world is he referring to here? He is not forbidding complete interaction with unbelievers. He says you'd have to go out of the world to totally be not around. In fact, our purpose It's to share the gospel and to be salt and light. So we must have interaction with unbelievers. We shop at many of the same stores, attend many of the same schools, go to many of the same places. But in other parts in Corinthians, we know, for example, that he's saying, you're taking your grievances before pagan courts. You're visiting temple prostitutes. You're entering into mixed marriages. Many of you are eating meat that's been offered to idols in pagan temples. So he's saying you cannot be careless in this area. We are to be separate. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. So, All of us need to ask, as we look back at the Corinthians, about the relationships and the partnerships and the unions that we establish, and ask this question. In what direction is this relationship taking me? In what direction is this fellowship or this association taking me? Is it drawing out the best in me? Is it helping me to grow and to be conformed to the image of Christ? The Corinthians needed to be aware of the undertow of the world and the effect that was having on their hearts. Now, an obvious connection here is to marriage, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But Erdman said this, and it was helpful to me. Paul's words are not only to be applied to marriages with unbelievers but they should include all the intimacies which arise out of, listen, business relationships, social activities, friendships, fellowships. Such intimacies in themselves, possibly innocent, may develop into unions which dwarf spiritual life, weaken loyalty to God, secularize the soul, and annul testimony to truth. John Stott's words about marriage are helpful to us understanding the danger of unions in other areas. He said this, If a child of God marries a child of the devil, the child of God will have trouble from his father-in-law. Let me read that again. Because it, it, it took me a minute, it probably takes you. If a child of God marries a child of the devil, the child of God is guaranteed to have trouble from her father-in-law. And what did Jesus say? You are of your father-in-law, the devil. So, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, your righteousness, your light, your Christ, your, your, your faith, you're the temple of God, do not be yoked with lawlessness, darkness, belial, unbelievers or idols. Paul says, Corinthians, I have a hunch that that's why we're not together in this thing. You're off in some other direction, giving your affections elsewhere. So then God made these wonderful promises, and I'm going to land it pretty soon here, revealing his work in them is what had set them apart from the world around them. Look at these amazing promises that God gave and that God enacted and performed to set us apart believers to set them Corinthians apart from the rest of the world we are to be in the world but not of the world and here's what he has said listen to these promises God has said I will dwell in them I will walk among them I'll be their God, they shall be my people. God will be our Father and we will be His children. He is the Lord Almighty, meaning if we have God, we don't need anything else. He is sufficient, He is gracious, He is provisional. These are the promises that empower you and me to be in the world, but not of the world. So hold to these promises. Hold to God as your sufficiency. And do not... Do not, Paul says, let the world squeeze you into its mold. The way you become consecrated and set apart is by completely trusting and believing in who God says you are. By the way, did any of you see the Clemson-Alabama game? Man, it felt like Georgia won that night. (laughs) Anyway, I don't want to make too much of that because it's not not too much. But one thing I will say is that the verbal... Testimonies of Dabo, Sweet, Sweeney, and Trevor Lawrence are amazing. On the most public stage, one of the most public stages in the South, I've I've heard both of them say clearly, powerfully, and courageously that to them it's not a matter of their performance on or off the field. What matters most to them is is their identity in Christ, who God says that they are, and who Jesus says that that defines them more than anything else defines them. Just in a passing way, those are two examples of what I'm trying to tell us to be. But as Bryson, I talked about, is Bryson still in here? (laughs) You got it, he's in the back. You got to have all three of these. In harmony together. Listen, what have I said? Your words, your heart, and your life. If you just have the words, and you don't have the heart and life. See, we don't spend a lot of time around Clemson's quarterback or Clemson's coach. But I bet if we lived with them, we would be able to either confirm or deny the power of their verbal testimony. To really make a difference, you got to have all three of these working together at the same time, which is very humbling because who among us, I preach a per- perfect message every Sunday, not the words that come out of my mouth, but the words that are in Scripture. It's, this is pure, holy God's Word. And I sin and fall, and sh- fall short of this every day. And I recognize in my heart there are loves and affections and idols that I need to mortify constantly. They do not need to be there, and they compete against the intimacy that I'm to have with God, the church, my wife, my children, and all. You've got to be aware of your heart. It is prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here is my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I am saying that the only way you and I can be in the world But not of the world. We can be in Corinth, but not have Corinth in us, is to be separate and holy and to trust God and His Word to do the work. And to feed constantly on what God has given to us. Let's think about this. Paul's opened his mouth. Paul's opened his heart. Paul separated his life, consecrated. But the ultimate example of those is what God has first done for us in Jesus. So what I really want you to think about is Jesus. The Bible says He opened His mouth and He taught the people. God came down to us and he spoke beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. And if you want to be separate and if you want to guard your heart and if you want to know what to say, you've got to receive daily the words that God has spoken. God says in Psalm 81, I think it is, open your mouth and I'll fill it. And then has God opened his heart? Look at the compassion that Jesus felt for sinners. Look at his love and his. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Look at Calvary and and God opening his heart to us, revealing his mercy and his grace and his passion. Did God consecrate himself? for us he he was already holy there's the holiness he has but there's also the righteousness and holiness he gives so jesus set himself apart on calvary as the pure sinless son of god he set himself apart in order for us to be set apart it's both the reality and a process so here we are back to pitch and catch we have got to open up our hearts and our lives and our minds and our eyes and receive everything God has given. And then we've got to give that back and open up our mouths and our hearts and our lives to be set apart, to be able to make a difference for God and the gospel and the lives of others. And if we do that, I want you to notice one last thing. Paul is confident that the Corinthians are going to get it. They're going to receive it, and they're going to give it back. And it's interesting that he says in verse, hang with me, 3, that you're in our hearts, and we are going to die together, and we're going to live together. We're going to die, and we're going to live. Well, I don't know about you, but that seems an odd way of saying it. In fact, we don't normally naturally speak that way. Normally, we say we're going to do what? We're going to live together and we're going to die together. That's how much we love each other. We're going to live together and then we're going to die together. But Paul says the opposite. He says what? We're going to die together and then we're going to live together. Ah. He's talking about an eternal fellowship. He's talking about an eternal love. He's talking about the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God, that first we die, and then we live. And Jesus came and died, and then he rose from the dead. He said, because I live, you too shall live. So Paul's confident that they're all going to die. But then what does he say? The good news is that we're all going to, what, live. See, so you join yourself to the same fellowship that Paul had with the Corinthians. Hey, it was messy. There were times when it was messed up and it wasn't intimate. And his, The Corinthians gave Paul more trouble than any other church. But it's almost like Paul says to them in this text, I love you and we're going to take our hands together and we're going to die together and we're going to live together. How does he know that? Because Jesus has not only choosing love but keeping love and he's going to sustain us to the very end. A pastor that I follow on social media, I'm closing with this, I promise, I've closed three times. This is good. I want you to hear it. It moved me. A minister by the name of Patrick Mead placed his father, who had dementia, into a care facility, a permanent care facility. He put him in room number 14, and he taped a description of his dad on the door so that everybody would know the man who was in room 14. Patrick knew who his dad was, but the staff and volunteers didn't know, and his dad was at the place where he couldn't tell him who he was. So this is what the son placed on the door of his father's room. My name is Bill Meade. I was born in abject poverty. I became a warrior for the U.S. Navy and in the Korean War. I then laid aside my weapons and became a minister and a missionary. I traveled the world, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, bringing hope, medicine, and love to the U.S., to Europe, to South America, and Africa. I am slowly leaving this earth for my heavenly home. This may take a while. Thank you for remembering who I was and who I am. I am a man, a warrior, a missionary, a father, a friend, and much more. And I have one more river to cross. That son was making sure that father crossed that river safe and sound and well-respected and loved. And if you become part of this fellowship and open up your mind and your heart and your mouth and your love and you separate yourself This is the type of passing, this is the type of ending God ensures that all of us have in Christ. Who are you? What do you love? Where have you come from? Where are you going? Father, thank you so much for your amazing love for us. Thank you for the example of Paul. At times the Corinthians were extremely frustrating, they were extremely immature, At times, their affections were were lost on other things. Paul is showing us the patience and care of a father loving his spiritual children, working with them day after day after day, confident that one day they will get it. And not only will they get it, not only will they minister and serve, but that they will die together together. And praise God, one day we will live together. Thank you for your patience, your grace, your words, your mercy, your heart. The fact that you set yourself apart and you lived a perfect, holy, sinless life. A life none of us could live. And you set yourself apart in death, dying a, a sufficient atonement for forgiveness. Past, present, and future of our sins. On the third day Christ arose, triumphant over the grave. And that is the essence and the source and the power of the good news and the spirit that's in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand this morning and sing about consecrating our lives to Him. You come as we sing. Amen. Please be seated. We'll now take our offering. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for your kindness and love. Your compassion and grace for us. Thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ that died on the cross for us and took our place. Lord, I'm forever grateful. Thank you for the message that we heard this morning. And and Lord, I I, I think what Neil was trying to say. I mean, for for me, I mean, so, sometimes I am a Corinthian. You know, I whether whether it be TV or football or other things, God. Sometimes I forget I'm a, a Christian, God and. I pray that, you know, that you'd forgive me for that when I do these things, Father, and that for each and every one of us, God, that you would be what's most most important in our lives. Father, uh, I just pray that you'd bless this offering and bless our church. These things I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.